Kings of the Podcast, episode 141. We are back. Dennis Bernstein, you have returned uh, from, yet again, uh, some some travels. You were in the Big Easy. That's what they call it, right? New Orleans? New Orleans? Yes. yes. New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's the only major American city I've not been to. What uh, about Victorville? The, uh, Victorville is a town. <laughs> Neither does Rosamond. So, uh, for our friends out in the 909. Uh, just incredible food, incredible people and hospitality, like just a fun city that if you love jazz, like go there. I mean, it was just so much fun. The worst part about it was obviously the Rams game, which was terrible. But, you know, it's funny, John, you've, you've been to SoFi for a concert, right? Yes. And and the PA system is not that great. Not the music in the Superdome was uh, the sound system is unbelievable. And the people there, they love to dance. The football, the football fans love to dance in New Orleans. So I, I had the best time in New Orleans. If people haven't gone, please go. You'll have a great time, guaranteed. Well, maybe we should text Cheese then and let him know. Because remember, he was on, uh, Kelly Cheeseman was on the program recently and was mentioning, he, he gave us a scoop that they're working on uh, potentially replacing the sound system inside Crypto.com Arena. So we should point him in the direction of New Orleans and say, hey, dude. Here's a good a good starting point, good reference point. Oh, Superdome, yeah, oh, yeah. Go on Mercedes Benz Superdome, right? Is that correct? No, no, no. They changed it. It's the Caesar Superdome because everything is gambling now. Ah, Caesars, okay. I think two years ago there is a Mercedes dealership like right next to the uh, uh, to the Superdome, but now it's Caesar Superdome, and they're making renovations like they are doing at Crypto.com. Okay, I guess she's just fortunate that uh, Crypto.com and that FDX was the uh, the new uh, naming rights for the uh, arena. Well, yeah, of course. We'll have to see how that plays out. The uh, The last time I flew into New Orleans, I flew right over, and there's a big – it was like a big, giant Mercedes symbol yes, that they yes. had on top yeah. of the, the dome there. Yeah, yep. and it lit up. I flew in at night. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. So did you have crepes? No, but I had beignets. The, oh, beignets. Yes, I'm so sorry. God, I messed up my own, I messed oh, up my own question. Of course, beignets. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Of course. On the, we did two tours, and – the, the, the tours both stopped at the same place called Morning Call. And we had beignets and three for three fifty. And John, and one other thing, I had great dinners there, and it was the bill was less, like one hundred fifty bucks for both me and PJ. So the, it, it's not expensive. It's uh, people are so nice and easy to get along with. So and of course we walked on Bourbon Street was which was uh, you know a sight to behold. But uh, it was a really really great time. And uh, well, of course you had a pomegranate martini. 
Of course I did. Yes, I saw it on your Instagram, so I was happy yes, for you. That that you... G.W. Finn's. Yeah. <laughs> G.W. Finn's. And I'm not a fish eater. That restaurant was amazing. G.W. Finn's on Bourbon Street. Just we had a, a great time. And I obviously had a better time on the road than the Kings did the last week. So, um, Well, that's a great segue. Let's get to hockey. This is Kings of the Podcast, uh, not DB's Travels of the Podcast. But, of course, it's hard to pin you down, DB. You're never home anymore. Now that you're in retirement, I think you're busier than you ever have been. That's true. I'm, I'm uh, so, absolutely busy, yes. So so the LA Kings, they decided to take a four-game road trip through the Pacific Division. They went to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Seattle, which does sound funny because uh, we have Bernie Nichols coming up on the program later today, by the way, and, and he was with the LA Kings during their big Smythe Division era. Yeah. And back in the day, that was the roadie for the Kings. The Kings in their, in their Pacific Northwest Canada, well, I guess – you wouldn't call Calgary and Edmonton Pacific Northwest, but their Western Canadian road trip. It would have been Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Every once in a while, you get the four game trip. You'd get Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Uh, And and it just sounds weird, but nonetheless, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Seattle mixed in there now. Um, Not the best road trip for the LA Kings, DB. This has been a club that uh, it feels like, They've just been alternating wins and losses, or they'll get hot for two or three games, and then they'll they'll lose two or three in a row. It's just, you know, back and forth, back and forth, a trading of wins and losses. Uh, they come off of a, a homestand where they sort of made hay when they needed to, and then they head out on the road, and you're thinking, okay, maybe this team can get some momentum going. Not really the case in Calgary, Edmonton, Seattle, and Vancouver. When you look at those four games in totality, uh, any key takeaways? Yeah. They had a great effort in Edmonton. They really did. Connor and Leon were not a factor in the entire game. And I'm telling you, the fact that Evander Kane is hurt, that's a huge loss from because Pujarvi and Holloway, the, the guys that replace him, and he kills the Kings, I, that's a big loss. So th- to have that effort, it's really disappointing. And I know they got goalied in, in, in Vancouver, but you're supposed to be better than Vancouver and Seattle. You're supposed to win, and, and to take away one point out of those games, and the no great line was great in Seattle. It, it saved our butts there. To me, that was really disappointing. You want to walk away with those, with at least two points in those games. I know Brock Beswick kills the Kings, and I know Pedersen does really, really well. That's not a good team. So it was, it was to go one one and then wind up one two and one. I think you got to be really disappointed. And I do want to say one other thing, John. We have our first donkey alert of the, um, of the season. We need a sound effect for that. We need yeah, hee-haw, right? <laughs> my buddy Chris Nyland, he does hee-haw when he talks about officials. Okay, so after the la- after the Seattle game, uh-huh. I t- okay, there, I, I just, you know, I do my big picture, me- medium picture, small picture. Medium yes. picture. Kings are uh, 11-9-2, and Velarde scoreless in six games. Mm-hmm. And then some guy tweets at me, some, some donkey, like, Oh, Dennis, you must be so happy that you can you can rip Velarde again. I'm like, where did I rip Velarde? He hasn't he hasn't got a point in six games. It's not a rip job. He's on the top line. He was actually moved down in that game. It's mm-hmm. not a rip job. And if you think that, and I talked to Todd about this too. So at some point, Gabe was was trending was tracking 55 goals. He's not a 55 goal scorer. He was shooting 27. percent right. So he's going to come back down to earth. He may not be on that line. He may drop down to the third line. He probably misses Quentin Byfield, but that was not like, believe me, I have no problem criticizing players, but, but to the one Twitter follower, like I was not criticizing. I was just stating a fact. And I guess me, because um, people are so sensitive and maybe the gay bananas are coming back. Like it was just pointing out a point that he hasn't been a, a factor in, in the last six games. Yeah. The Gabe Velarde, um, 
line, or excuse me, uh, stat lines, if you really start to dig into it, this was in the uh, pregame article on Mayor's Manor just the other day. Yeah. And if you look into it, uh, Gabe had quite a remarkable run going where he had scored at least one goal in every homestand and every mm-hmm. road trip. So he never really had a cold uh, spree, so to speak. And he had scored in every sort of five game segment. He had scored a minimum of three goals. So he was very consistent in five game uh, chunks, if you will. And over the last six games, yeah, he's come up empty. And here's the alarming thing, I think, DB, no shots in that last game either. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yes, when he was playing well, he was promoted. And you could look at it one of two ways, right? Because Fiala was demoted. Todd had gone publicly and said that he wasn't happy with the way things were going. I don't remember the exact quote. Somebody can look it up. But it was a demotion. Uh, if, if you if you listen yeah. to what Todd said in the postgame press conferences, to put Fiala on the third line. Now, a happy coincidence or consequence uh, or benefit of moving him to the third line ended up playing itself out and giving the team balanced scoring, and it really sort of turned their season uh, early on, if you will, and they went on sort of a hot streak after that. I think they were 6-1-1 and or something like that. But the the point is that Gabe was never penciled in to be the top-line player this year. He was supposed to be on the third line, and when, you know, he was bumped up, that's great. Now, I've said, I don't like, for whatever reason, Velarde with Kopitar. You disagreed with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I wouldn't say you disagreed, Dennis. You you were indifferent when I raised that question. Is that, is that a better assessment? You were indifferent to whether Gabe played with 11? Uh, yeah, I was indifferent. It, it hasn't it hasn't worked, obviously, because not as he's not scoring, but you mentioned the Sacho. He's not, he's not getting – there's nobody facilitating for him. And he's not the type of, I mean, he can get his own shot. So I don't have a problem with it. The problem is that here's the problem. Like, Rasmus Kupari is a good kid and plays defense and he's smart and he's fast. He's not a point producer. He's just not. He's not an offensive player. So everybody's going to drop down. It's going to be tough. I, I, I just think that ultimately when you get to the end of the road, Byfield and Velarde is your pair. I think yes. without question. And, and that's why I'm eager to see couldn't come back after he had that virus and he had to go down and get some conditioning and play some games in the L and the A that's it. So did it work? I didn't think it worked, um, but I wasn't different about it. I thought it could have worked. And again, it's a small game. It's, you know, a six game sample. So we'll see if it, what happens when Gabe comes, uh, when Quentin comes back. Andre Kopitar is a world-class player. He's a future hall of famer. He's a two-time Stanley cup winner. He's won multiple trophies nominated forever for a bunch of different things, et cetera, et cetera. The point is this DB, it takes a very specific and unique type of player to play well and to gel well. And when it works with 11, it works really well. We saw it early on with Ryan Smith. We saw it later with Justin Williams. We've seen different players that have played very well with him. Even Alex Iafalo, for all the people want to bang on him as not a top-line player, obviously there was tremendous chemistry and the coaching staff, as well as Kopitar himself, believed there was uh, tremendous chemistry with number 19. Um, I just don't think that 13 is the type of player that fits in. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see Trevor Moore play with Kopitar and again people are going to connect the dots and go well wait a minute Trevor Moore is not a top line player yeah you're right Trevor Moore is probably a third line player although he's been very effective as LW2 playing with Phil Deneau but as you start to mix those line combinations and there are limited options that are available to Todd with Byfield out of the lineup right because you you don't want to sacrifice that third line from production so you almost don't want to move Fiala off the third line as much as he is uh not a third line player. He's, he's adding to the Kings offensive arsenal right now by giving them a third line. There are limited options, but it would be interesting to put Trevor Moore up on that line. I'd like to see Velarde and Kaliev give a run with Phil Deneau 
I just, it's hard enough to take one of Phil's two safety blankets off the wing, let alone try to take two of them off. They'd have to go on an 0 and 10 run or a, an 0 9 and 1 run or something, I think, for, uh, for Todd to break up that second line, DB. Yes, it would have to be drastic measures, John. I, I agree because those guys, the chemistry, and I mentioned the Seattle game, if not for that line, they, they come away with zero points. So, uh, I, you just, he's going to keep that thing. And you know, Todd, especially if the team's winning, he doesn't make any lot of changes unless somebody's hurt. So, you know, DB, here's a question to ponder coming out of uh, the game. I guess it would have been in Vancouver. I'm not sure if you, you were traveling, so I'm not sure if you caught the post-game press conference with Todd McClellan, but he was not too happy with some of his players. And I'm paraphrasing. If you want to pull the audio, go ahead and do it. You can insert it into the show. Uh, but he was not too happy. And essentially his point was this. Not enough of our players wanted to get into the dirty areas, get into the tougher part of the game. He was critical of some guys. He basically said that, look, some guys were they were engaging in the, the style of game that the Canucks were trying to play, but yet not enough of our guys were or, or others weren't. And he felt that that was the downfall. The way that he was saying it led you to believe that there would be changes going into the game the following day, um, the game against Seattle. Now, of course, with Sean Dersey, and I'll get back to that in just a moment, but with Sean Dersey being out, Jacob Bavari went in. Normally, I would have expected Edler to get the rest. I wouldn't have expected Edler to go in back-to-back games. That would have allowed Mavari to play. Uh, instead, he played for Dersey. But at forward, he had one, one additional forward at his disposal, which was Leas Anderson, who they took on the trip. Leas Anderson played in 20 games for the LA Kings last year. Dennis, you're going to know the answer, by the way. I set the question up. He scored one goal. Just take a guess what team that, that team was that he scored that one goal against. Let me rack my brain. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver? It was Seattle. So was if there Seattle. was ever a time to put Leas Anderson into the lineup, the Kings, had, they needed some offense, and he needed to send a message to some players. The problem is, who do you put Leas Anderson in the lineup for? Poor Jod probably ended up, would, would have had to be the sacrificial right. lamb. Um, yes. I don't know who else it would have been, right? Uh, you would have definitely been sending a message to somebody if you if you benched a, a Grunstrom or, a, who knows, Velarde. I don't know where, but the point is, you needed to find a way to get Leas Anderson into that lineup. Now, Leas has played center and wing. He's been more of a winger this year in Ontario. Very productive, putting up points. Um, we know that the AHL and the NHL are a different league, but mm-hmm. why not is my question, Dennis. Why not put Leas Anderson in the lineup coming off a stinker in Vancouver when you, you lost to a goalie who I think has two wins on the whole year? Uh, is it going to hurt you to put Leas Anderson in the lineup in that game against Seattle? I guess but he's going to play, what, nine minutes? So is it going to help them? It's going to help them win the game. I don't know. You send a message. You send a message by demoting players too. And I don't know who he was referring to specifically, but uh, I, I Lee's has gotten a lot of chances, John. He just hasn't been productive. He just hasn't found yeah. a way to, to transition from being that productive AHL player to a productive NHL player. So, and, and I know the players like his grit and his determination. And he'll stick his nose in and maybe that's what they needed in, in that game. Yeah, but I just um, I get your point. I don't know how he moves the needle for this team, unfortunately. Dennis, I'm not talking about putting him on the top line with Kopitar. What I'm talking about is maybe you are. You think anybody? You have. <laughs> you have li- a certain type of player that can play. You have. Li- well, I know. I don't know. But hey, here's the deal. Talk to Kopi. Kopi loves Leas Anderson, so maybe oh, yeah, that is the player. 100%. I mean, you want to send a message? That's going to send a message, and I'm sure that you wouldn't have been able to get an argument out of number 11 because he's a big fan of number 17 yes. and does like the way that he plays. So uh, that's that's an interesting note that you bring up there. But my point is, it's not like this team is setting the world on fire over the last five games coming into that Seattle game. So why not mix it up a little bit and see? 
Hey, yeah, look, they didn't win the game in Seattle either. So I think here's the interesting thing. You're coming home. You're playing the New York Rangers. This is big time. I don't care what the season is. I don't care at what time of the season that it happens. And it is happening earlier in the season than, than normally when the Rangers come to town. But DB, when New York plays LA, when the Dodgers play the Yankees, when the Rangers play the Kings, when New York plays LA, it's a big deal. And this Tuesday night at crypto.com arena, it's a very big deal, Dennis, not only because of the two big markets, but because the LA Kings really need to get back into their winning ways. They do. And they've won four straight at home. So that that's on the positive. And yeah, look, that's going to be all about stars, right? They're coming with Panarin and Zabanajad and Fox and Kreider and Shesterkin. So that should be uh, an exciting. And I agree. I'm already looking forward to that game. That that was circled on the calendar. Anytime the Rangers come in and there's going to be, you know, New York's going to represent the building, which is great. Uh, but uh, it, it's going to be an exciting game, but it's something where they need to get back and, Again, if they can replicate that effort they put in in Edmonton, to me, that was the most complete game. And that's the problem, John, I think, with the team and team going back and forth. One facet of their game doesn't work in these games. Like the defense, the goaltending definitely didn't work in Calgary. There wasn't enough offense in Vancouver and Seattle, I think, just outworked them you know, in the last game. So there hasn't been that complete 60-minute game that they've been able to roll out consecutive games. That's just, so you can isolate the Edmonton game and say, okay, put that in the bottle. Let, bring out those 60 minutes every this game. And they haven't the been able to do minute so of play in the period. Almond Joy or Mounds. That was in the pregame article the other day. That's this team, Dennis. They're either going to give yes. you defense or offense. You can't have both. Yes. You have to pick one. <laughs> pick one. That's it. Great analogy. Exactly. Uh Look, back to Sean Dersey real quickly. Uh, did check in right before we recorded the podcast. You know I like the fresh meat. You know I like yes, the fresh sir. scoops. Try, trying to find out what's going on. Um, Sean Dersey right now is listed as day-to-day. Uh, there were a couple of other injuries or another injury that I wanted to give everybody a quick update on as well. Akil Thomas was injured over the weekend on a really uh, fluke play. Uh, there was sort of a scrum uh, after a whistle, and he ended up going down. And there's a, there's a pick that we put in one of the articles. He's in a lot of pain. Um, as he went to the ice, I'm not sure. Uh, and I don't want to speculate what the injury is, but uh, let's just say that there has not been a, a determination yet of the time frame for when Akil Thomas will be back on the ice. The Ontario rain play on Wednesday uh, and then they play again on Saturday and Sunday. And so Brant Clark, who is down there on a conditioning assignment, DB, maybe we'll talk about him more in the third period. These will be his final two games with the Ontario rain. He will play this Wednesday at home in Ontario against San Jose, and he'll play Saturday at home in Ontario against the uh, Tucson Roadrunners. So there's your uh, your injury updates. DB, we'll ha- we have to get to the break. We have Bernie Nichols, who we believe is officially standing by this time. We don't have a swerve coming. We'll talk to Bernie Nichols after the break. One. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. And, you know, sometimes in life, DB, we have to uh, we have to do a do-over. So Bernie Nichols was supposed to join us last week on the podcast. He's here to join us this week. So, Bernie, welcome to the program. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. 
Now, Bernie, right out of the gate, I have to let you know, there's a penalty for not being available last week. So you get to pick. We're either going to go, uh, we're going to do two hours straight today, or you can send out three <laughs> autographed books. It's your choice. Which one do you want to do? Oh, I can do either, but it doesn't matter to me. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm hunting with my girlfriend. So it was, uh, you know, I think she takes priority over the uh, podcast. Okay, well, you know, it's it's questionable, Bernie, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have That's that right. one. Yes, w- yes, your lady goes first, so we'll we'll give you that. But uh, right. thank you yeah. for thank you for climbing down out of the trees. Uh, there is that famous picture of you, by the way. I think with the Stanley Cup after the Kings won, like you were in a tree or something. You were you were hunting back then, if I remember correctly. Well, uh, what it was, and uh, other than the coach from Pittsburgh. Uh, the Stanley Cup has never been in the tree stand before. And I took it up there when obviously everybody gets the, the cup for a day. So I was able to take it home. And uh, one thing I did was take it up in the tree stand, had some pictures. And man, this it, it went viral. There, there was places in London, England uh, talking about that. So it was pretty cool. Some of the places that that, that Stanley Cup has gotten to and stories. I wish the Stanley Cup could write a book. That'd be crazy. <laughs> Well, let's start there real quickly uh, as we jump into things here today. So uh, for those that don't know, Bernie has a book coming out, uh, or it, it's already out, actually, uh, from Fred Lo- Flood. I can get the story right. I can, Bernie. I promise. From floodlights to bright lights, which probably has something to do with the fact that you came from a very small town and ended up in a very large town, I, I would imagine. Maybe you could tell us. That's right. Um, you know, I'm from a little town outside of Halbert, and there's when I grew up here, there was like 75 people, right? And uh, my dad built a, a nice rink in our front lawn. Uh, we played all hours of the night under floodlights. Uh, the little school where uh, in my little town, uh, they had a nice rink out back and there was floodlights. So um, most times when athletes write a book, I think they want the picture of the, the athlete's face on there or this or that. But for me, I thought it was so fitting uh, the cover just explains it, right? Uh, a little boy out in the floodlight skating. I, I go from a little town of 75 people to a, a, ten, a, a city of 10 million people. So floodlights to bright lights, and uh, that's kind of how it goes. And also, if you can see on the, the picture, I got uh, Gretz, I think, is as big as uh, my name on there, his name and his picture. So I just figure if people see Gretzky on there, they may not buy my book, but if he's on it, they'll buy his book. So I'm going to take advantage of that. Great, great marketing, Bernie. Bernie, I want to ask you a question. Uh, you last played in 1999. It's 2022. There you go. Why did it take 23 years to write this book? Um, I don't know. I think after you get out, you just do certain things. But enough people say, you know, uh, you should write a book, right? Like uh, your, your journey's been kind of as entertaining as any you got some good you got some bad uh you went through some great times obviously but then you go through some tough times and uh, to to write a book i, I think you, you got to get both in there and uh maybe just take time to to uh, maybe prepare yourself to do that so uh just when i was asked to do it i thought you know what now's the perfect time so it, it was easy for me to do 
Bernie, we'll hopscotch around throughout your career, some of your time in Los Angeles, as well as some some other areas, uh, other cities, other franchises, uh, as we as we work our way through the questions here. But I sort of want to try to go in reverse order as best I can. I'm sure I'll get to the Sandstrom trade in a moment, though, because I, I can't wait to get to that one. But uh 2012. I want to come clean here for a second, Bernie. I've never said this publicly before, but you were one of my I wouldn't call you a source because you probably didn't know that you were doing this, but you were one of my tells. So in 2012, when the Kings were going through that magical Stanley Cup run, that series versus uh, the New Jersey Devils. There were kind of four individuals that I would check in with on a regular basis every day, both here in L.A. and the games in New Jersey, of course, uh, Dustin Brown, Kopitar, Dustin Penner was a big one at the time. And you were, I've never yeah. admitted this, Bernie, but you were one of my four core people that I would go to. Sometimes you didn't even have to say anything. I just would walk by you in the locker room and the wink that you would give or the nod that you would give would tell me. And I remember one time specifically you were, you were really hyped up. Yeah. The boys are buzzing. They got this one tonight, blah, blah, blah. So here's my question. As a player, you probably were able to get that sense in the room of, if the boys were ready for a particular game, but how did you, how did you get that sense as a coach? Because you seem to really have a good, a good feel for sort of the mood of the day. Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, when I first went there, right. Daryl Sutter uh, let me come out and, uh, and I just, I, I enjoyed myself uh, so much. Right. I hung with the guys probably more than I did with the coaches. Um, but I remember going in the first playoff game in Edmonton and uh, Vancouver. Uh, I, I got those the, the butterflies again uh, back like when I was playing. I, like obviously I hadn't felt that in a long time, but it was so cool, right? It was like I just went right back to being a player, and I think everything that uh, came with that, right? Like being around the players, understanding what they're going through, uh, their confidence. Uh, it just made me feel at ease to, to what we were about to do, right? Like going through uh, Vancouver at the time, President's Cup uh, winners, uh, beat them four games to one. St. Louis, they were best team in the league at home. We beat them four straight, you know. Just the confidence that being around the players, how the players felt, uh, gave me a pretty good idea of, of what was about to happen. Um, like there wasn't a time in any series that I, I thought, you know what, uh, this is going to be tough. It was just, it was just a, a magical run that you just, everybody had confidence in, in what was about to happen. And I was right in the middle of it. I, I, I kind of had a good feeling the whole time. Barty, back to the book for a second. Uh, you know, you, you've obviously wrote in, it's your autobiography, but you've written with Usually it's one writer, but you use both Kevin Allen and Ross McKean, who are two tremendous, legendary writers. So so why two writers, and, and how long did it take you to, to put the book together from, like, Cradle to Grave? It, it actually started uh, just when COVID hit. <laughs> and, you know, so instead of uh, getting face-to-face, we did a lot of, um, you know, Zoom calls, but it was mostly – um, Ross at first. Ross was the, the one that was supposed to write it. And I think, uh, for the most part, uh, he, he went through the whole book. And then I think with, uh, kind of the way it was going, I, I, I think they wanted someone maybe to, to get more emotion out of me. Um, and I think Kevin was able to do that. When Kevin got a hold of things, he, he could take, you know, 
Kevin could take one line of mine and turn it into a, a friggin' story, right? And but he would get me the emotion out of me that uh, I think the book needed in places. So um, I think they they work well together. I just think Kevin at the end could get the best out of me. Bernie, we love hearing the draft day stories from guys that were taken in the draft a long time ago because it's not like today, right? There, there's, there wasn't a big TV production and the internet and all of that right. stuff. So fourth round pick back in the 1980 draft, selected 73rd overall by the Los Angeles Kings. Can you, what can you tell us? You probably talk about it in the book as well, but what can you tell us about that day or even the week leading into it, what you knew about the draft and how prepared you were for it? Yeah, it is in the book, and, it, and it's actually funny, right? Because uh, for anybody who knows where I grew up, like I said, uh, West Guilford, we had two two TV channels back then. And you get Hockey Night in Canada, like every Canadian person does on a Saturday <laughs> night. And so as a little boy, I don't – all I know is Toronto, Montreal. I really don't know the league. And I think at the time there's 21 teams, I guess. but uh, Or I guess there's more than that. But I, I come home. And my mom comes running out uh, of the house because uh, they called her, right? And uh, I knew I was getting drafted just because of your agent and this and that. They have a pretty good idea. But it's not like before where you'd go to it or you'd listen in or anything. Well, she comes running out and says, you just got drafted by the Los Angeles Kings. And in my mind, I'm going, who the hell is the Los Angeles Kings, right? Like, I, I didn't even know. Uh, so, but for me, it, you know, I run and tell my dad, I, obviously you're excited. You don't care where you get drafted. As a kid, all you dream about is getting, um, playing in the NHL. So for me, it didn't matter. Uh, the sooner you realize that I'm thinking, okay, well, who did they have at center uh, that I got to compete with? And for me, other than Marcel Dion, there's three open spots uh, in my mind. So you're glad that you get drafted by a team that you can play for other than you get drafted to a team that's loaded in your position and, and you don't make it. So it was LA and, and I was excited about it. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of times, Bernie, about uh, coming from a very small town, 50 people, but when you get to LA, I read, you know, I read part of the book, the forward from, from Wayne said that he, he looked at you as a Broadway Joe Namath. You came to LA and you bought like a $1,500 pink suit. So how does a guy from a 50, person town get that sense of flash and style um when you get to los angeles yeah uh you know what i think it happened in junior i, I lived with a, a couple that they owned a first store they had some nice suits there so uh I, I started buying that at a young age and as a lot of people like i love wearing nice stuff so uh but going to la and i'm not sure how i got hooked up with that but I bought a, a pink silk suit and um, it, it didn't go over well with some of the older guys in the dressing room. Like Marcel Dion is thinking, what the hell are you doing? Right. Like a small town boy himself. Any of the Canadian boys are thinking, you know, uh, this LA smog has gotten to your head. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love dressing up and to this day I still do. Right. Like, designer suits or whatever but back then in the early 80s some of the stuff you'd wear it's not quite as nice as they are today bernie it's a perfect setup then your first year in pro hockey you split time between the kings and, and the ahl you're with new haven when you look through that new haven roster there are a couple of familiar names in there mark morris of course who went on to coach 
the Manchester Monarchs for a long time and is one of the most successful college coaches uh, as well. You also had uh, Ian Turnbull on that team, but more importantly, perhaps you had Daryl Evans on that team. So go back to New Haven, early memories when you were first getting to know Daryl Evans. Yeah, I actually room with Daryl. And um, so not knowing much about him. And, and like you said, Ian Turnbull was down there. It was He was kind of winding his career down. So uh, I got to hang with Ian a little bit too. But for Daryl, I, I, I room with Daryl in New Haven. Then when he got called up, he also got called up and the first year I lived with Daryl and Jay Wells. So, um, obviously became good friends with Daryl and still am to this day, uh, had a great career too, and, and still doing really well as uh, radio, uh, for the LA Kings. Now, Daryl, of course, is known for his flamboyant suits. The Kings have even taken, I don't know if you know this, the Kings have taken to autographing or uh, auctioning off, I should say, some of his suits lately. But you can set the record straight right now. So did Daryl get his sense of style from you? Is that what happened then? Well, to be honest with you, when he first came up, uh, he, he didn't have anywhere near what he's got now. So maybe it's a few years in L.A. because the last few years when I was going to L.A., uh, when I was with the, the team coaching, Man, he did have some good uh, suits. I think maybe he was uh, talking to Don Terry a little bit because <laughs> he had some of those crazy suits like Don used to have, and he still does. Yeah, for sure. Bernie, uh, you, you mentioned um, living, and we talked about lifestyle now, living here, and, and people have, when they do, like, you don't drink, but you really like to have a good time. You like the ponies like I do. So h- how hard was it to um, to not get distracted by the lifestyle here and focus on, on playing your game? Yeah, honestly, it, that part wasn't tough. And, you know, to be honest with you, my second year in the league, I lived with a jockey. And like you said, the horse racing, I used to go there quite a bit. And I even had the owner of the Kings at the time uh, would call me for horse tips because he knew I knew the jockey. But I lived with one jockey who was doing cocaine. And, and I knew that. And I didn't know the Kings knew that, but my second or third training camp, I get called up to the, uh, to the coach's room. I got the, uh, our security guy, Lou McClary there. I got the coach, I got the GM there and they're, they're telling me exactly what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And they weren't happy with it, but I really wasn't doing anything wrong because as much as I was hanging with these people, I wasn't doing any of that stuff. So, uh, to me, I, I, I never drank. I, I never did drugs and been around it, seen it, uh, hung with people who did it, but never was ever interested in doing any of it. So I guess I'm lucky that way. Now, Bernie, I have another question teed up here, but I'm not going to let you off the hook on this one. First of all, I have to give you a trivia note. People have often asked, who is the one guest that I really want to get on the podcast? People think it's Dean Lombardi or Gretzky or whatever. The true answer is Sweet Lou. I would love to get Lou. I've talked to him a number of times, and Lou is taking the stories to the grave, so he's not he's not going to come on the podcast. But, boy, that would be fantastic. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to share many uh Many a meals in the press box with Lou, and uh, he's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful man. And, of course, his son now is uh, heads up security. But anyway, what I didn't want you to let, let you off the hook there with, Bernie, was how did you come to live with a jockey? Like, like connect the dots on how that even happened. I'm not sure. And <laughs> the problem was it was way out, too. Like, it was um, the other side of downtown. So it was actually a nightmare as far as that goes, but I just hung with him because I loved the racetrack. I was at the racetrack every day and he bought a big house 
uh, out in Brentwood, they're like uh, the other side of the 605. Like it was an hour without traffic in the daytime uh, traveling. So that only lasted one year. But I think it was just, you know, uh, spending more time at the racetrack than the, the uh, ice rink probably. So it wasn't probably the best to live with them, but it was still a lot of fun. Um, but it, it was just a long year just because of travel. As everybody knows, the, uh, the roads and traffic in California is just a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, let's ask about the number here because we talk a lot about numerology and the importance of certain numbers. Now, if, if memory serves me correctly, you broke in with a couple different numbers. I think 10, 15, maybe in Los Angeles, eventually switched to nine. Nine was the primary number that you wore throughout your career. Why nine? I mean, is it just as simple as it was the number that, uh, you know, every kid growing up in Canada wanted to wear and you were lucky enough that nobody in Los Angeles had, had taken it up until that point? How did you end up with number nine? You know, uh, I honestly think it was Gordy Howe. That was my dad's favorite number, and I think because of Gordy. And uh, I think my dad either gave it to me or wanted me to have it when I was just a kid. And that's the only number I've really ever wore or ever wanted to wear. And uh, I think when I get drafted to L.A., uh, once I get called up, it was available. And, and I got to wear it the entire time. Uh, when I get traded to New Jersey, Tom Chorsey had it, and he gave it to me. Uh, when I went get traded to New York, uh, Al Stalin had it, and he gave it to me. So now when I go to Chicago, number nine's in the rafters. So I went with 92. But little did I know, Bobby Hall said, you know, if you had asked me, I would have let you wear it. So that was obviously very nice of him. Uh, but it's the only number I've ever wore or uh, would ever want to wear. You know, Bernie, I'm sure we'll touch on the uh, 70 goal campaign at some point further in the discussion. But how, how would a 27-year-old Bernie Nichols fare in today's NHL? Uh, you know what? I honestly think very well. Um, the year that we played in, like the guys that played, like their hockey sense uh, to me, uh, the gift that we had is second to none to any year. You know, like I think kids today are just bigger, stronger, and faster. But that's what they've been, you know, trained to do. We were never sure. trained to, to be like that. But our hockey sense, uh, the ability to create uh, offense for us uh, could do it with the best of them. I think in today's game, like, you can wear sweats in, the, in today's game. You honestly can. Guys, I would never go in front of the net before. The guys would whack the hell out of you and, and punch you in the head and not even get a penalty for it. Or, you know, you come over the blue line and they'll just, the big defense and just grab you and pin you and get away with it. Like, there's more, there's more power plays in today's game like there's more five on threes in a season for one team than I've had my whole career. Like the, the opportunities to score goals in today's game was way easier than it was back when when I played. But like I said, and and the sticks the kids use today, I, I, and I know the goalies are bigger and, and better. They're they're better athletes, but uh, I think we could do just as good today as we did back then. So what you're saying, Bernie, is in 2012, when those uh, competitive juices were getting going again, you were probably talking to Kinger saying, hey, uh, suit me up. Let's go. I want to go out there and play. That's right. 
I love going out skating with the boys and practice and stuff and uh, hanging with them. And, you know, yeah, I think uh, well, I couldn't fit in just as well then in 12, but in uh, 95 or 96, absolutely. So uh, DB referenced the 70 goal season. How about another statistic? You're one of, I believe, only 10 players who have scored a Gordie Howe hat trick uh, and a regular hat trick uh, in, in the same game. Uh, I don't know how Joe Thornton made that list because maybe they're counting the fight that he had with Dowdy that wasn't a fight. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you have guys on that list like Cam Neely and Paul Coffey. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of guys on that list, Bernie. You're on that list. Do you remember the game when you turned that? I mean, that, that's pretty incredible, right? Just 10 guys in the history uh, of the league that have done that, and you're one of the 10. Yeah. Uh, I'm always impressed with some of the, the stats that come out that you don't you don't remember, right? Like, uh, I got probably a better one, and only uh, Sederoff from Detroit has ever matched to score a goal in four straight periods. Mm. So first, second, third, and overtime, right? Like, that's pretty tough to do, and it's only been done twice. Uh, but then when uh, this kind of caught me off guard, too, and it probably will with you guys if you haven't read the book, but uh, how many fights do you think I was in in my career? All part. Three. 26 or 28. What? <laughs> <laughs> Rods, and then they did the, they went, yeah, like, I was shocked myself. I, I, <laughs> I would guess maybe 10 or 12, but when they went through it, I got like 26 or something like that. I'm, I'm close to Ty Domi. I was going to catch Ty. <laughs> Jeez, I couldn't believe it. Bernie, I want to ask you, uh, later in your career, your, your career took a short, right? You're known as a scorer, a big-time goal scorer, point producer. And then in the mid-'90s, you get traded to Germany, and you're playing for, you know, Mr. Trapp himself, Jacques Lemaire. He wanted to try to turn you into uh, a checking line center. So just two seasons that you spent in uh, New Jersey. Talk a little bit about what it was like to, to deal with Jacques Lemaire system out there. Yeah, you know what? Um, Jock did not do that. Jock played great defense. His system was great defense. It was more about the defenseman not being pinching, right? Like he would never let the defenseman get up and pinching, ever, ever put his other uh, defense partner in vulnerable position. He, he let us create offense. And what I loved about Jock was because he was a centerman, he would have the centerman uh, face the puck no matter where the puck was. You had to be in position. Uh, to receive a pass and, and start out and create offense. So uh, he was a defensive coach, Montreal Canadiens, but he let us uh, offensive players create offense. It, it was great. Bernie, let's get to it then. Uh, the trade. It sent you to New York. You're a member of the LA Kings. You're playing with Gretz for a couple years here uh, in Los Angeles. It's every kid's dream at that point, probably to play with Wayne Gretzky. And then you're off to the Big Apple from one big city to another in that, that trade, when you look back on it now, the best trade or the worst trade? Of course, Sandstrom and Granado coming this way, Bernie Nichols going the other way. Your opinion? Oh, for me, it was like trading is part of the game, right? And and that's fine. But I say to people this day, like, I can't imagine what it'd be like to play with Dredd for, you know, four or five years, ten years. Like, I got him for a year and a half, and it was the greatest, obviously. I score 150 points 
playing with Wayne for one year. Like it was just, it was amazing. And, uh, so I was devastated with that. Um, even though it was part of the game, uh, they needed someone for Gretz to play with. They got Tony Granado and Tom, Thomas Sandstrom, who are awesome players and, and fit in with Gretz really well. But for me, it was just devastating that, that I couldn't play, uh, longer with Wayne. You know, John, I went back and looked at uh, Bertie's uh, hockey reference page, and yeah, Bertie was an enforcer. He had over 100 uh, penalty minutes in three different seasons early in his career. So he's not joking when he said he (laughs) dropped the gloves. Bertie, uh, Chicago, L.A., New York, you played in all three cities. What was it like to to be an NHL player in in these big-time cities? Yeah, I was fortunate, right? Uh, going from LA, you go to an original six team, which was amazing. Uh, Madison Square Garden and Chicago, another original six team. Uh, unbelievable hockey cities, right? As far as LA, until Gretz came, we weren't known really as a hockey city, but New York definitely was, Chicago definitely was. And, but what I tell people to this day, right? Uh, as a Canadian boy, you have to play in Canada somewhere. And for me, it was Edmonton. Uh, when I get traded from New York to Edmonton, as bad as it was who I got traded for, I would have loved to play with Mark Messier, right? Like, uh, I got to battle against him so many times. I would have loved to play with him. But saying that, going to Edmonton, for the time I spent there, I couldn't uh, have picked a better place to, to go and have more fun playing. We, we, we did really well that year. Uh, it was just a special time to be in Edmonton. Bernie, I don't know the exact number. I probably need to look this up, but you're one of the very few players that wore the purple and gold Kings jersey and then also wore the black and silver after the Gretzky trade. Um, recently, the Kings have introduced three new jerseys. There's the sort of redo of the Gretzky era jersey where they have the black, white, and silver. That came out, I believe, a year ago. And then you also have the two reverse retro jerseys. There's the purple and gold remix that came out, uh, what, two seasons ago? And then there's the new one that came out, which is more of the the Miracle on Manchester sort of motif, a white version of that purple and gold jersey. I'm just curious, have you seen these three jerseys? And and if any of them, uh, you know, caught your eye and you like any of them at all? No, I like them all. Uh, when they first came out with the, the old, purple one it was the one before i got there it was one maybe more in the 70s and i really liked that one mm-hmm. uh i i love the black but i also love you know instead of the uh where they they go white the white one uh a home one instead of a, a gold one mm-hmm. I, I like that I, I, i'm not <laughs> i'm not a big fan of the silver helmet so uh but i, I do love the, their jerseys Bernie, come on now. Just home. just just imagine if you were playing and you had the chrome dome and you had the mullet flapping in the air behind you. Wouldn't that be a great picture? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. But uh, I love the jersey, just not the helmet. Fair enough. Okay, you mentioned Edmonton, Bernie. So if you played today, how would you attempt, and I use the word attempt, to um, to defend Connor McDavid? Um. I would, I would play with him and not try to defend him. <laughs> if I had my choice, I'd be on. I'd even go to the wing and let him play center. Yeah. But I don't know how I'd ever keep up with him. Um, 
you know what? I've said this before for, for the people in Edmonton, right? Like they had Gretzky and, and now you got, uh, Connor McDavid and just like, I just love watching him play as well as anybody does. Right. Like he just, he's at a level where no one's ever seen that before. Right. Like, because no one's ever experienced the speed that he has to bring. Right. Like people, yeah. you had great goal scorers, right. You had people with great shots and, and this and great stick handlers. And, but the NHL and people have just never seen the speed that this guy does and what he does at a high level, like the goal he scored the other night. Like, and what's so funny, right. Is the defenseman. I can't imagine what the defensemen are saying to themselves when, they're kind of caught in an island and, and here he comes, right? Like yeah. I actually played in a, a charity game in, um, in Barry one time and I was on the other team and Connor would come down and I was the defenseman and I went, well, you can imagine what I said. And he just went right by. Right. And I'm thinking, like, you gotta be kidding me. I, I, I've, I've been out of the game for 20 years, but, uh, it wouldn't matter. Right. Like there's nothing you can do. It's just, you just, you know what it is. It, it, it's just, you just are lucky to to be able to watch this kid play and uh, just enjoy it, right? Like this ain't coming around anytime soon. Let me tell you what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, when we celebrate milestones in in the league now, it's usually two things: thousand points, thousand games, and you've done both over twelve hundred points, over eleven hundred games. When you look back on that accomplishment and, and your career, Bernie, like what what comes to mind when you think about your your career in total? Well, you know what? Um, I think, and just like if anybody sees, I, I still love to play today, right? Uh, I just, to me, it was just so much fun. Uh, I just enjoyed it. I was fortunate to be uh, gifted offensively. Um, and, and I played a long time, but, it, but I had fun doing it, right? And uh, I was able to play with some great players. Um, but just, just the fun I had, the enjoyment I got out of being able to play. And like I said, I was fortunate to be, to be gifted offensively. So I could create, uh, create offense and, and, and do good things with it. So obviously very proud of it to, to be one of a select few people that have averaged a point a game for their career. Uh, one of five to ever score 150 points one of eight to score 70 goals. Like the accomplishments that you do, you, you put them with some pretty special people. So at the end of the day, you just go, you know what? You must've been all right. You did good. And that's the only thing I take out of it. The enjoyment I gave to my family and, and, and friends uh, uh, is, is worth everything to me. Well, Bernie, we certainly appreciate you jumping on the podcast this week. First of all, thanks for showing up. I mean, that's that's step one, just to get you on the show. There you go. We, we appreciate so that. Much, yeah. Before yeah. we let you run, though, I'm going to ask you one last question. I shared, maybe who knows, maybe this is in the book, too. I shared this uh, uh, little anecdote with you uh, back in 2012. You probably don't remember. You probably didn't remember the original story either, but uh, I thought it would be worth asking you publicly here. So I remember... The end of your career, you're with the San Jose Sharks. It's the last season of the Forum. And you and I just happened to end up in the same hallway, the same corridor, one night after a game. I think I was leaving the Forum Club and you were leaving the locker room, whatever it was. We didn't know each other at the time. And uh, I just remember you being surprised that you were still so popular in Los Angeles nearly a decade after you had played. And uh, I'm curious now when you look back on that, because, again, I think you saw how popular you are with L.A. Kings fans when you came back in 2012. 
to this day today, are you still surprised how popular you are amongst LA Kings fans? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I think for me, uh, I still enjoyed the fans, right? And kids, like I, I would sit out after every warm up and throw every puck on the ice to kids. I would give my stick to kids, to fans, right? I, I just enjoyed the fans. And I think the fans really enjoyed me because they knew I loved the game. Uh, they knew I cared about it. Uh, they knew they were going to get an honest effort from me every night. And I just enjoyed it. And and I think for, for fans and kids, that when they see that, that, that's all they want, right? They just want to see someone having fun and, and someone giving back. Like To me, there was nothing more fun for me than giving a kid a stick or giving a kid a puck. And, and they knew that. And, and they fell in love with me as I fell in love with them. And uh, to this day, when I go there, I hope that's what they remember most about me. Uh, as far as what I did on the ice, um, scoring goals or, or assists or getting in those fights I got into, you know, what <laughs> I hope brings them the most joy about me is the way I treated them as, as fans and, as, and the kids. Uh, that's what I like the most. Well, Bernie, we want to let you get back to hunting. My The rest of my day is spoken for. I'm going to be on Hockey Fights uh, researching all of those uh, brawls that you were uh, <laughs> apparently in back in the day that I that I don't remember. There you go. So yeah. thank you I for joining. I don't either. <laughs> I'll, I'll find the best yeah. clip. I'll send it to you. We can both remember There you together. go. Uh, yeah, perfect. From Floodlights to Bright Lights, that's the new book out by Bernie Nichols. Please uh, check it out. Give it a read, and uh, you'll, you'll hear some or read some fantastic stories from Bernie Nichols. Bernie, always great to catch up with you. Hope you have a great weekend and uh, happy holidays. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll talk about that and more L.A. Kings hockey after this. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, welcome back, third period Kings of the Podcast. Uh, Dennis, you know the question that's coming. We just had a fantastic interview there with Bernie Nichols, some uh, fun stories from number nine. What what stood out to you during that conversation? I just think that this guy has fun with his life, and more people should try to live their life having fun like Bernie Nichols. Now, granted, <laughs> it's easy maybe when you're playing the NHL and you're dating you know, Playboy centerfolds when you're back in the day, but uh, I just – you get the sense of joy from this guy who loves life and is uh, had a great life and is now telling the stories about it. So to me, it was very, it's pretty forthcoming. And, you know, if Quentin Byfield doesn't work out in LA, I guess they can sign Bernie Nichols because he still thinks that a 27 year old Bernie Nichols could compete in this league. So. Yeah. I don't think there's a, a doubt in his mind that Bernie thinks that if you gave him an opportunity right now, he would, uh, he would be able to suit up and, and get back into the league. Uh, fun stuff from Bernie Nichols. If you'd like more, uh, we talked about the book a few times there, From Floodlights to Bright Lights. That book by Bernie Nichols is available, and we're going to give you an exclusive deal here, uh, Dennis. This is what we do for our listeners. Beautiful. If you want 35% off that book, we have a code for you. It's easy to remember. The code is MAYOR35. 
DB, we were going to do uh, pomegranate martini 35, but it was too long, too many characters. So we just went with Mayor 35. Seems to be easy to remember. If you're interested in getting that discount, go over to triumphbooks.com backslash Nichols, and I'll post this out on our social media channels as well. But go to triumphbooks.com slash Nichols and use the code Mayor 35, and you can get 35% off Bernie Nichols' new book. It'll make a great Christmas present or holiday present. Uh, DB, we'll get you one for, for Hanukkah. And uh, we'll be good to go. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, just great stories by Barney. And as I mentioned in the interview, two really, really great writers in Ross McKean and, uh, and Kevin Allen, uh, assistant in his autobiography. Kevin Allen, one of the legends, the true legends uh, within the, the hockey writing community. So, yeah, for sure. Check it out. Fun stories. And heck, if he's going to throw Daryl Evans under the bus like that uh, during a podcast interview, I can't even imagine what he wrote in the book. I'm going to have to read that TV. For sure. I say that tongue in cheek, you know, Bernie's former team is actually coming to town as well. Uh, excuse me. No, they're going to San Jose. I'm sorry. I need to get the schedule straightened out here. Thanksgiving is throwing me for a loop DB. I just can't yeah. wait to eat some cheesecake. I'm not a pumpkin pie guy. I'm waiting for the cheesecake, but uh, okay. so you have the Rangers coming in to play the Kings on Tuesday night, and then uh, they're going to do a four game homestand following Thanksgiving. But first on Friday, they're going to travel up to NoCal and they're going to visit the cage. <laughs> <laughs> still okay. funny the um they're gonna visit the cage they're gonna play the san jose sharks on friday night and uh and then after that you have ottawa seattle arizona and carolina let's just kind of give uh, a preview the sharks man they are having a very tough season uh dennis it's it's kind of to be expected though i think would, would, would you agree with that yeah and have you checked out eric carlson's numbers he's like the old eric carlson now he's he's just now there's talk about well we, we might Mike Greer said we might trade. We'd be open to trading him. Like, who's taking that contract for like, <laughs> like another what five years? Like, well, why would you price. not be open to trading him? That would be the question. Why would why yeah, would you why would you hang up on a GM calling to take that contract? I know, I know. It's, it's a great start, but you know, is this guy really going to play eighty two games this season? Is he not going to get injured? So that's it. Now look, I want to say they need to win this game, John. But the San Jose Sharks are one seven and three at home, and I know the Kings play bad in San Jose. But after they eat their turkey, don't be a turkey. Go up there, win that game, come back home against. Uh, now there's some uh, look. There's some tough game teams in the next homestand. Carolina, obviously, but you mentioned some of the names of those other teams. They have to find a way to beat Seattle. I'm sorry. I know Seattle's improved, but if you're not going to play better in your division, it's going to be a lot harder to make the playoffs. If you want that two three seed, you're going to have to start winning in the division. They're not doing it right now. But, you know, go up to San Jose and just dispatch that team because you're right. They're not a very good team. That's a major rebuild for both Mike Greer and uh, David Quinn wanted to back, get back in the game. Well, he's not been handed the best team in the league uh, as a coach right now. Well, we were talking earlier about the use of Leas Anderson uh, as well as Jacob Mavari. Uh, prior to practice today for the L.A. Kings, they did recall Rasmus Kapari, Leas Anderson, and Jacob Mavari. So as noted uh, in a tweet that went out yesterday, when they were sent back down more paper transactions in the yep. works uh, sort of, you know, salary cap related. So nothing to be alarmed about. We're still waiting for Quentin Byfield to wrap up his conditioning assignment. There really is not a time frame established just yet on that. Um, hey, Dennis, by the way, the game against the Rangers, uh, a familiar face, this face for radio. I'll be back on the Valley Sports West broadcast uh, during the intermission. Fantastic. So set your DVR. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Quentin Byfield. Um, and his conditioning assignment. He scored a goal uh, over the weekend, two goals now in his conditioning assignment. And Brant Clark scored his first 
AHL goal, first pro goal uh, over the weekend as well. So the two of them helped the the rain get back on their winning ways. Uh, Brant Clark, we'll have to see as we get into this schedule here, DB, we'll have to see um, if he makes it back up to the LA Kings and slides into a game because he has two games left on his conditioning assignment, as I mentioned earlier, I believe, which would have been uh, or will be, I should say, Wednesday night at home in Ontario and Saturday afternoon. And then his assignment is over. So the Kings are playing Sunday, Sunday evening, a rare Sunday game uh, yes. in downtown L.A. They're going to be playing the Ottawa Senators. By the way, if memory serves me correctly on this one, it's some sort of a kids event. They're giving away a Kings coloring book, uh, which I don't recall Ooh. the team ever giving away. I know they give away bobbleheads and beanies and things like that, but I don't remember a Kings coloring book. I think that's coming up against the Ottawa Senators. And then uh, Tuesday night, the Seattle Kraken are coming in town on November 29th. Now, the reason that I point this out about Clark is that Team Canada, you figure, is going to invite him to their World Junior Camp, which will begin the following week. Now, the Kings are going to want to assess how Team Canada is going to want to use Clark. So I don't see them sending Clark to Team Canada's camp if he really doesn't have a spot on the team because what a giant cluster that would be to send him to the camp and have him get cut and everything else. And look, if he's going to if he's not going to be part of the team, don't even go through the exercise. I think part of that will be known by the time we get to Tuesday, because maybe Sunday you still don't play him because he played the day before in Ontario. Mm -hmm. But come Tuesday, if Clark is back in Los Angeles, you could potentially see Brant Clark playing on Tuesday against Seattle uh, or even the following Thursday uh, against Arizona. Again, I'll update that if I have any fresh scoops on that. I'll update that on the Valley Sports West uh, intermission report that we'll do during the Ranger game. But uh, DB, what about the rest of that schedule? We covered the Rangers. We covered the Sharks. Then you have Arizona coming, and then you have Carolina coming. Yeah. Uh, look, Arizona, they're getting great goaltending from Vermelka, uh, but they're – and they've been better on the road. They're, they're a tough team, but, again, that's a team that if you have any designs on getting back to, like, the 99-100 point team they won last season, you got to win that game. Uh, yeah. Carolina, that that's a big ask. And now uh, our friend uh, Brent Burns is coming back with the Hurricanes uh, to, uh, uh, to to LA. So that that's a tough game. That and that looks smells like nothing but a three two game because it's not going to be high scoring. Carolina, as as good as they are, they just don't give you a lot. So uh, I think the more high scoring game would be the Arizona game. You think there's going to be another six five game in the Kings' future? It's probably the Arizona game and not the Carolina game. Although there was a high scoring Carolina game a couple of seasons ago, I think. It was a 5-4 game or something like that. So it's going to be interesting. But, uh, again, these are winnable games. I'm not sure. You know, they're going to be under the goal against Carolina. But the rest of this homestand, they got to put point, they got to put wins and points in the bank. Now, Ottawa is an intriguing matchup because not only is it a rare Sunday night game in Los Angeles, but after that game against Carolina, Saturday, December 3rd, which will bring an end to the homestand, the Kings then go out on the road through Eastern Canada, and they will play Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, and then dip down into Columbus, Buffalo, and Boston. Longest road trip of the year, uh, I believe. But Ottawa, you get to see this team twice in a matter of a week uh, or seven days or so, 10 days. Uh, you get to see the Ottawa Senators twice. They were one of the darling picks uh, coming into the, the season this year. Everybody loved the Ottawa Senators, TB. Yeah, except me. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. I, I got, the goaltending and defense wasn't good enough. Talbot got hurt off the bat. Uh, uh, Shabbat got hurt. And now um, another defenseman, Bernard Docker, got hurt. I, I didn't see it, John, to be honest with you. I, I thought they would improve. 
And I think the difference in the East this year, remember last year, we got to January, all eight teams were decided. It, there was nobody going to go to – it wasn't any team on the cusp. This is different. So the bottom feeders like Buffalo – and people thought Buffalo was the real deal too, right, John? They've lost eight straight. So these teams are better. They're more competitive. They're not playoff teams. And same thing with Ottawa. I was impressed. And Ottawa, like Buffalo, they're a bad home. They, well, they're actually worse on the road, but they're five and six at home, and they're one, four, and one away. So they played a lot of home games, haven't played a lot of away games. This will be one of their first trips out west. John, I didn't see it. I mean, when people calling for them, and I know they added the uh, Brinkett, they added uh, Giroux, but just they didn't have enough on the back end to think they were a legit playoff team in the Eastern Conference, and they've showed it so far. Now, also coming up in December, DB, you have the reverse retro schedule. So the Kings are going to wear the reverse retro jerseys uh, a number of different times before they uh, put those away prior to the, I think they wear them four more times, if I remember correctly, prior to the all-star break and then after the all-star break they will retire them so uh saturday december 17th looking it up here really quickly uh against the sharks friday the 23rd against arizona of course the new year's eve game against the philadelphia flyers i'm not sure if they're bringing their cooper alls or not uh db but if not daryl evans will throw a pair on and uh and, and he'll be out there only for warm-ups that's right only for warm warm-ups and then saturday january 7th the final game that'll be against the vegas golden knights uh DB, let me let me say something about the reverse retro for a second. Oh, please. Yeah, if you go up to the Team LA store online and you go to the Kings Reverse Retro page, like kudos to the fans. Every single and there's nine players that they've that they've personalized. Nine players, eight of the nine players they've sold out on, and the only there's a couple of sizes left for Quentin Byfield. But Dowdy, Kopitar, Quick, Kempe, Dursey, Deneau, Lemieux, and Fiala all sold out. So kudos to the fans. John, you, before it came out, you and I were talking, this should really resonate and should really look great. Well, the affirmations of what these fans have done, they have sold out at least the, the, the current crop of jerseys except for a couple for Quentin Byfield. So kudos to the fans for recognizing that this is a, a fashion-forward statement and one of the best, if not the best, reverse retro uh, jersey in the league right now. And Bernie Nichols even liked it. He approved it. He's like, hey, the white version of that sweater, he liked it. So that's good. So there you go. Uh, DB, as we approach American Thanksgiving, which is, of course, the the, the sort of milestone that a lot of teams yes. laser in on relative to the uh, the standings in the NHL because there's such a ridiculously high percentage of teams, 80%, 75%, whatever the number is, DB, you might know it. Uh, if you're in the playoffs as of American Thanksgiving, there's there's roughly – 75 to 80% chance that you end up making the playoffs. This is the feeling that I'm having though, Dennis, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen this year by American Thanksgiving. There's just, there's, it feels like there's more uncertainty around the league right now. More parody is what I'm getting at than ever yeah. before. It feels like things are going to shift and maybe we might want to look towards, I mean, just if you like holidays, maybe we might want to look at, Christmas or, you know, pick a date three weeks after American Christmas. Let's call it December 15th. It just doesn't feel like it's going to all be wrapped up uh, by this Thursday. Yeah. Well, I'll submit to you, if you look at the standings right now, and let's say it's the same on Thanksgiving, right, on Thursday. Well, Pittsburgh and Florida are out in the east. I don't think that's going to happen. And Calgary, Nashville, Minnesota are out. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, is Seattle going to be a third-place team in the division? I don't think so. I mean, they, they keep proving people wrong. 
So I agree with you. I don't think that the agency – and it's just, just differential with respect to games played. And that's the other thing with the Kings. They've played the most games of any team in the league. Like, yeah. They're tired. They need a rest. I mean, their schedule has been brutal. They've already had a long road trip already. So that that's part of, I think, part of – not the issue, but they could use some time off. Um, they have played a lot. So, yeah, I, I don't think that the teams that you'll see – and, again, it's not a 100% chance that a team that's in positions, usually 75 to 80 – I think if you look at the eight teams on each side that are on that are in the playoffs on Thanksgiving, they will not be the same once we get to game 82. Yeah, but if, if you just do the math on that, Dennis, 80% of 16 is basically 13, which means right. mm-hmm. 13 of the 16 teams would be in across both conferences. So only three, yeah. there would only be a three-team swing, according to the percentages, there would be a three-team swing, and it feels like there's going to be a greater than three swing uh you just look in the western conference there could be three teams alone in the west let alone what happens Mm -hmm. out in the east so i think that just supports the point that uh that i'm making here yep all right uh dennis we've never done before and i'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about this in advance but uh if you had to pick one thing and you can pick two if you want but if you had to pick something that you want to see that you need to see when the kings come out on tuesday night against the rangers what's something that you need to see in that first period it's going to give you some confidence that they have a chance of pulling that game out and winning that game and picking up two points against the Rangers. I would say uh, go to the second period scoreless. If they play good enough defense coming out of the box against the Ranger team, that and don't go in the – okay, good defense, don't go in the box because the Rangers' power play will kill you. So, you know, you can't give those guys a chance. Zibanejad is, is amazing. He doesn't get it. I know Panarin's there, and he's a great player. So Starkin – Carries the team on his back. Zabanajed, I remember, it was Zabanajed for Derek Broussard. Like, what a trade. What a going away present that Scott Gordon uh, gave, gave this team. So uh, that that would be that I would say. I, I want to see, again, replicate the defensive effort that you saw against Edmonton and the similar teams, right? Not strike the goaltending, but with star players. Try to limit the opportunities for Zabanajed, Panarin, Kreider, and Fox. So, you know, mine would be slightly different. And it would be go into the second period with a low scoring lead. I'd like to see that they can put some offense up so they're not constantly coming from behind. But back mm-hmm. to what we talked about earlier in, in, the, in the show, I'd like to see a balanced effort. I need to see offense and defense. So they need to score mm-hmm. a goal or two. Yeah. And then, then I think to your point, they need to they need to keep the Rangers off the border limited. So it could be a one nothing. It could be a two one. I'd be OK with that. Need to see some offense, though, out of this L.A. Kings team, because uh, they Look, they need to produce some goals. And I know at the end of the day, it's all just about, you know, getting one more goal in a particular game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've had some low scoring affairs recently. Yeah, so yeah. if you follow the ebb and flow of this team where they take three steps forward and three steps back, they've gone to, they've gone to the left on the scoring. Perhaps there's an offensive explosion or two that would be coming here soon because um, there might be some goals pent up inside those sticks. Well, they, they need a 5-1 game, not a 6-5, 5-4. They need a breathing room game where it's a rocking chair game where they score five, but only give up one. And, and we haven't seen that type of effort yet, which is to your point about consistency. We still don't know. And Todd's talked about this word a million times, identity. I can't tell you what this team's about. Maybe with, by the time we get to game 30 or 40 or 50, I, I don't know what it happened, but there's too many different types of outcomes and performances for this team to say they are one particular thing right now. 
Well, RIP to the great Roddy Piper, because uh, as you were talking there, his most famous line uh, came to mind, which is every time we think we know the answers, they change the questions. And that's exactly what I feel about the L.A. Kings. Every time I think I start to understand their identity and they rattle off three or four games in a row where I go, OK, that's the identity of the team. Then they switch it up. So they, they're, they're keeping us on our toes, Dennis. They're giving us pr- plenty of material for the podcast. OK, yeah. And I'll give you the example, John. Edmonton, a uh, Calgary and Edmonton games. If I told you one game is going to be 6-5, the other 3-1, <laughs> yeah. which game it would have been be? the opposite? Yeah. It would have been the opposite, totally. Yeah, so you think, yeah. oh, they gave us – and the other – oh, they're going in – now they're going into Edmonton. It's going to be 7-6. Why? That's a like totally different type of game. So, yeah, we don't know. We, we just don't know at this point. Uh, we have to at least reference before we, uh, before we exit here and wrap the show up. Dude, Martin Jones – what the hell is up with yeah. Martin Jones and his incredible record? I didn't realize it until uh, coming into this game here a couple of days ago. Martin Jones just owns the LA Kings, and he's wearing them out, Dennis. He's wearing out a lot of teams. He's right. They are an improved team. They don't give up a lot like they did in last season. Now they get, they're finding more offense. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's a revelation I, I did not see coming, John. Uh, the other thing that uh, I, I we got sidetracked and I didn't mention it earlier, you had referenced that the Kings did an effective job of shutting down Dreisaitl and McDavid. You know, both of those guys came in with double-digit uh, point streaks coming into that game, Dennis. Yeah. One had 11, one had 10, and both of those streaks were snapped against the LA Kings. So again, back to the identity and the riddle that is this this identity of the LA Kings. What a phenomenal job of shutting down two world-class players it's a great job. Kudos, LA Kings. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can do but that they, again against the New York Rangers. But they, they could. They, and here's the challenge: they did it against Edmonton, but Bezer and Pedersen killed them in Vancouver, and they can't stop those players. Which is really, again, it, it's it's a quandary. It's again, it's about st- establishing identity. So they were able to shut those two players down, and but those other two guys just take them to town every time they play. Well, I think Besser, if I'm not mistaken, had gone six games without a point and then picked up a couple against the L.A. Kings. So he was able to get healthy against the L.A. Kings. Yeah, he didn't score a goal this season. He's his first two goals of the season. <laughs> but he's got like 11 goals in 12 games against him. It's something ridiculous. Yeah. Unless I think that's 7-11 and 11 or something like that. But those two guys, whatever it is on the ice, uh, they, those two guys are very effective against the Kings. All right, Mr. New York, go dig up some Ranger stats. Text them over to me so that uh, I can pass them along to the crew that writes the – the uh, the pregame article that will come out on Tuesday. So we'll have to see what's up with Sean Dursey. He's listed day-to-day. Uh, we'll have to see what Todd McClellan does with his line combinations, if he goes with the steady hand that he's been using or if he's now moving on to mix things up. All of that and more. Remember to also pick up your copy of Bernie Nichols' book. Thanks to Bernie for jumping on the program. This is another great episode, Kings of the Podcast. Uh, DB, I guess I'll be seeing you soon. Yes, you will. All right. There you go, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. You know I'm a dreamer, but my heart's a goal. I had a runaway high, so I wouldn't come home, no. Just when things went right, it doesn't mean they were always wrong. Just take this song, and you'll never feel left all alone. Take me to Just one more night and I'm coming on this block and white.